John Branham, 713-780-3776. What's the one thing you need to see the Texans fix this week against the Saints? I think you're right. I don't know if I, I haven't really thought about it. Is this the best defense the Texans are playing? Saints are fifth in the NFL in points per game. Now, they haven't really played anybody great. You think the Saints defense is better than Baltimore? Is it better than the Falcons? I I, I would go yes. I think it is because yes. of the full total combination of all the parts. I think when you look at it, you can break it down and say, does Baltimore have something better than the Saints? Is their secondary better? Or is their pass rush better? I, I think that when you look at the Saints, I think their their linebackers are really good. I think Jordan on the end is still really good. Um, and I think that their secondary, Lattimore it has been a stud, and I don't think he's fallen off that much. I, To be honest with you, I can't believe that the Honey Badger is still back there in the back uh, backfield, and he actually had a touchdown uh, last week. But I think that they're veteran where they need to be. They got experience, they've got talent, and and they they cover both the run and the pass. I think I think overall they're the best defense so far this season. The Texans will face Ocho. I, I would agree. Ocho says I need to see them use the pass to set up the run. I would agree with that. I'm sick and tired of seeing running the ball on first and ten, and you get a yard, and it's second and nine, and then you're behind the chains. And then I mean, we talked about how many third and longs that they had. It gets against Atlanta. They had 13 third downs in that game. Eight of them were in third and long situations and were using seven yards or more to define long. You're not going to win football games that way. So you got to get better at finding yourselves in third and three, playing ahead of the change. I think the pass setting up the run is kind of the answer there. Uh, Gopher says intermediate and deep route completions need to improve. Secondary better bring a game, uh, deepest wide receivers room they will have seen, and pressure quarterback. Going one at a time on this, the Falcons did their darnest and did a really good job of taking away the intermediate and deep route game mm-hmm. for the Texans because, again, third and long situation. Whenever the Texans were in third and long, almost every single third down, except for one, they blitzed. C.J. Stroud beat them on a blitz, and they didn't blitz again on third and long situations. They were dropping eight into coverage. Like, good luck being successful with intermediate and deep routes whenever the other team has eight dudes in coverage. That You're, you're not going to be successful with that. You're not going to have a good intermediate and deep route game whenever the other team's dropping eight in coverage and you're looking for the intermediate and deep route game. That's why CJ was throwing a lot away. That's why he was throwing it underneath and then they were you know, tackled well shy of the first down marker. So for that to improve... You have to find yourself in better down and distances than the Texans were in against Atlanta. We talked about it too. I mean, you can't just be predictable and then some, and you can't just be you know, just completely ground and pound back to back plays and just you know every and most the majority of first downs. And you highlighted how many third and longs that they had. And when you watch the tape, you know where they've been successful the first four weeks of the season. They ran a lot of the quick slants and the and the the the, the intermediate mid, middle routes. And and Atlanta has some talent on defense too, which I don't think a lot of as uh, uh, enough Texans fans really realized. We had talked about it, but they're 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 an above average defensive team. They've got some talent. I'm interested to see what New Orleans does because to me this is going to be about how they have to set up the they have to be able to get the run going by setting it up with a short pass. But they've got to do what they do best. I mean, they pass the football very well, uh, and it seems like they're just force feeding the run way too much. I get the balance, but we talked about it. Maybe you can get the balance instead of straight handoffs from little screen passes out of the backfield, from getting Singletary more involved because he has more quickness and and, elusive, and he can be elusive side to side. I, I just think that there are ways that they can do that without having to just take two downs every every four and jam it right down the middle of the line. 
Uh, Alex on the Twitch says Texans can't keep having field goals. They need to uh, finish with touchdowns. That's true. Their, their red zone percentages haven't been good. They need to finish drives with points. Well, I was a little surprised that D'Amico didn't go for it on that fourth and one. Watching the All-22, though, it, it came right after a play where the offensive line didn't block and Damian Pierce made a bad decision. I think D'Amico was like, screw this. I don't trust this offense. Yeah. Let's get points here, which I actually I understand. I I, I understand that after, uh, after watching that third down play. And I think the third worst in the NFL in the red zone. Brutal. In, in uh, score, scoring, they get field goals, more, not touchdowns, and yeah. they got to change that. So what is the, the number one adjustment for you that you need to see the Texans make uh, this weekend? I think to me, it's it's not get, they got to adjust so that they're not so hell-bent on running the football that they, that they just, they get themselves in a lot more of the third and longs and they put themselves behind the chains. I think that they've got to open up the passing game more. I think they've got to pass a little bit more on first down. I think they got to have confidence in knowing they're good at what they do. And what they do is the quick passing game and letting CJ kind of cook in the pocket. So I, I, I would hope what I'd like to see them do is I'd like to see them actually pass the ball a little bit more. And if you want to do that instead of running early by getting the screen pass going, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I kind of want to see the pass set up the run. Like I, I want to see what the run game looks like when you're doing it out of second and fours, second and sixes instead of first and tens. And if that means that you're using the intermediate short passing game as a, as a means to get yourself in those down and distances, by all means do it. Because uh, even though the Texans' offensive line has more talent this week and last week than they have all year long, it's still not a very strong run-block offensive line. Also, I want to see Devin Singletary get at least one touch of the football. Like, give him one carry. I, quite frankly, I wanted to see I want to see a 60-40 share, and maybe even close to 50-50, because I need information going into the bye to figure out if Devin Singletary is a better fit for my scheme. Like, I, DJ was kind of, uh, I, I thought he was defending Damian Pierce a little bit when he was talking about how his Pierce is a fit for this team. He's, he said that some players were saying that he was, you know, he's a good fit for this. Like, the players aren't going to throw Damian Pierce under the bus. I, I do have reservations or concerns that Damian Pierce is not best suited for his own blocking scheme. I, I, thought, I don't think he's a guy that's going to get the football, make a quick read, and hit the hole hard. I think he's, you tell him to go there, he's going to run through a brick wall. So I do have some concerns if he is a fit for this scheme. So how do you find that out? Well, let's use Devin Singletary for 10 carries compared to Damian Pierce, and also Damian Pierce gets 15 carries, and let's see which one looks better having a pretty equal work share uh, going into the bye that, in case you need to, to make some adjustments so that's something that I want to see I think defensively for the Saints the best I've seen a defense look this year against CJ Stroud is quite frankly dropping eight in coverage like blitzing CJ Stroud has been a fool's errand it has not been a good decision CJ Stroud has crushed teams whenever they blitz he's reads the reads the defense pre-snap he makes very good decisions post-snap he knows where to go with the football the Falcons were dropping eight into coverage every single third and long. I The Saints are going to do it again because that, that was the best defenses have looked against C.J. Stroud. It is a copycat league. And I think the best way to, to counter that, and people aren't going to like this, run some draws on third and eight. They're dropping eight into coverage. Run a little draw, get the offensive line blocking in front of your backer, and all of a sudden you have numbers and advantage, and you pick up a few of those, they're not going to drop eight. Or use some some receiver screens. That way you get some blockers in front of a, whether it's a Nico Collins, whether it's a John Mechie. You have dudes dropping back into coverage. You get a quick receiver screen to John Mechie. You get three blockers in front. You're going to pick up eight yards, and you're going to force the defense to get out of that. I'm surprised we didn't see that in the second half uh, from Bobby Slowick. So I want to see a little bit of that, too on the uh, the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that there's a million different ways that they can get this done besides just, you know, doing the smash mouth, you know, battering ram of just hammering Pierce into the same spots. I, it's inexplicable to me why Singletary didn't get at least 
five or six carries last week. But based on the fact that you now are, you know, are having more questions than answers on the running game and the questions are coming for D'Amico in press conferences, I want to see if they actually try the way, you know, we, we, we analyze Slowick from week to week. What adjustments is he going to make? Is he going to adjust? Is he going to be able to find some ways to kind of pick, pick up at this Saints defense by getting some yardage by not necessarily traditionally running the ball between the tackles? Four zero seven one. Use Dalton Schultz on first down. That worked a lot in Dallas. Schultz is coming off his biggest game. I don't hate that because it's like okay, give me a quick pass to Dalton Schultz, pick up four or five yards, second and five. Um, Schultz kills me in the running game, though. It's in the running game, it's tough. But in the passing game, are they going to put the honey badger on him? Uh, I mean, it's going to be specific. Yeah, I think he's a tough cover for New Orleans if if, if, you know dropping safeties and with whoever their their other corners are going to be. But I think Schultz is someone that should be utilized more because we know he can't block it, but we know he can catch the ball. You know, Sloak was gushing about the the route, and I forget the exact adjective he used about the adjustment where they that they worked out a, a a different alternative for the route that he ran for the touchdown, and they just loved the way he ran the route. Well, I mean, again. There's a million different ways. It doesn't have to be running backs. If you can get Schultz involved in the screen game and the short pass game, I would absolutely do that because he can catch the football. DJ mentioned whenever he joined us how this is a really tough offense, too. Um, I don't know how good they are offensively. In fact, I think that they're pretty bad offensively, at least statistically, through their first five games. Now, I do think that they have good skill. Like Chris Olave is very skillful as a young wide receiver. Michael Thomas is not old Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas still has a little bit left in the tank. I like Shahid a little bit, too. He's a pretty good third receiver, and you have an Alvin Kamara. Maybe it's not the old Alvin Kamara, but he's still Alvin Kamara. I think good. I think their trouble is actually Derek Carr. I don't know yep. if they have a quarterback here. Now, that said, defensively, you know, the one answer we look at is, well, you got to create pressure. We want to see more pressure. Uh, do you think that's true this week against the Saints? I do. Uh, I think so. I, I think that... I think that, again, the same way I'm walk, looking at Slowick and seeing what adjustments is he going to make, how is he going to find a, a means to an end to be able to, to get balance from a different way. I want to see what D'Amico can do by, look, we saw Grenard looked very, very good, but he didn't get a sack. I mean, they didn't get sacks. They didn't give up any. They didn't get any. And, and, and everybody's always looking at Will Anderson. I need to see these edge guys get home a couple of times. I need to see these guys take advantage of the fact that I think the entire offense is overrated for them. They always have a steady offensive line, but I think that Carr's overrated. I think Michael Thomas and and, and all the the hype and the hoopla and the money and he he's missed more than he's played in the last several years. I don't think he's very good anymore. I don't think Kamara is anywhere close to where he was, but he's got a big name on the back of his jersey that everybody recognizes. I think I think the Texans defense should have some success against the Saints offense. And they need to get home and put some pressure on Carr. The one thing that uh, could be worrisome is the the secondary. Like, Shaq Griffin, is he going to play after missing the last game? Uh, of course, you're without Stingley. You're going to need a big game from your secondary. You're going to need everybody at full health here. 4187, you guys worry too much. I thought you were happy with rebuilding, not worried about wins or losses. The moment the Houston Texans traded the away their own pick, I was invested heavily on the Houston Texans winning football games. Is winning the most important thing in 2023? No. Development is. But I don't want the Houston Texans to finish with five wins and be giving away their you know the number four overall pick. I want the Texans to win a bunch of football games. That way their pick is somewhere in the late teens as opposed to being in the top five. So, uh, no, you've been, uh, you're have been you a little out of touch here, 4187. Completely agree with that. Look, and again, like we always say with you, just call it like we see it. We saw it from the very get-go with that trade made. We both said it the, that night, the next day. We keep telling you we don't like bringing it up, but it's still hovering. It's still there, and it isn't going away. 
Perp on Twitch asked, is a tank playing on? I saw a tank at the game. Yeah, he was he was involved in that celebration. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, I've seen some reports that have ruled tank out of Sunday's game, but the Texans injury report today actually listed tank as a limited participant and are giving him a questionable tag. So he's not been ruled out by the team. So I guess that there is still a, a shot that he plays, although it's been reported that he's not going to play. And he's still in the protocol, too, which makes it very, very difficult. And they have a bye week after this, so it kind of makes sense to to make sure Tank gets right and then you get him back for after the bye. 713-780-ESPN. What are some of those adjustments you need to see from the Texans this weekend? And if you're of the thought that the Texans can contend for this division, I still am, do you put Sunday in the must-win category for the Texans to contend for the AFC South? 713-780-3776. Killer B's ESPN 97.5. ESPN Before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's Health. I was there bright and early this morning. I saw the shining faces. I know that these people care about their patients. I know firsthand that they take care of folks and they get results, and you could get them too. They're fantastic, and it starts with a variety of different services that they offer that can be beneficial to you. As you get older, you know, from the boardroom to the weight room to the bedroom, you don't have the same kind of energy and the same kind of results that you once did, and sometimes you just think it's all too late, it's all going away, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. That's not true. At Apollo Men's Health, they show men and women on a daily basis how you can get more energy in your life from day to day. You can start it with a B12 shot. If you want to take it to a different level you can go to hormone therapy and they can show you how the you're going to get results have more energy be able to get more things done get all the to-do lists taken care of and i still have time and energy for the family for the gym and so much more it's fantastic the way they get results semi-glutide now available fda approved you can lose up to six pounds in a week every week without ever hitting the gym hitting the weights or a treadmill or putting on your running shoes fantastic the way they're able to help in that regard you want to recover quick quicker after a tough workout they have all the different hgh peptide therapy options for you if you want to get on a workout program and you want to chart your results because sometimes you hit a rut and that makes you want to stop because you don't feel like you're making the progress well when you get a body composition analysis it charts everything from when your body fat goes down your muscle mass goes up to all those important numbers making sense and it all starts at apollo men's health go to apollomh.com right now book that first appointment online and find out all the different ways they can help you too you mentioned my name joel blank a free body composition analysis or a free b12 shot on your first official visit then let the process go from there answer their questions Tell them where you're lacking. They'll put you on a program that works. They'll get you the results you need. They're great people doing unbelievably good things on a daily basis. They're the good people at Apollo Men's Health. Todd Callis will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, talk to Todd about advancing to the seventh straight ALCS and preview the ALCS against the Arlington Rangers. He's blank. I'm Branham. Uh, what's the number one adjustment you need to see from the Texans this weekend? 713-780-ESP. And 4187 was talking a little trash. He's never out of touch, but I, I saw the Saints destroy the Patriots every single play. Beware of the hoodat. Patriots are awful. Patriots are really, really bad. I'm not... I'm not going to poo-poo uh, the Saints and what they've done defensively. Okay, I guess I am, go- I am going to a little bit. Look who the Saints have beaten this year. Look who the Saints have played this year. They opened up the year against the Titans. They won by one. They went to Carolina. They won by three. They lost to the Packers. They lost to Tampa. They got hammered by Tampa. They got beat by 17 against Tampa. And then they beat up on the New England Patriots, who I think is bottom three roster in the entire NFL. The Saints aren't playing a murderer's row so far through five games. No, they haven't. And they lost to the Packers. Okay? And I've told you how bad I think they are and how bad I think Jordan Love is. And you look at it and you look at Carr's numbers, 
and go, this is the guy that you went out that you had to have that was the veteran quarterback that was going to take you to the next level? He's had a couple of passing games where he was in the 100s, not the 300s, not the 200s. He was in the hundos. That's not what you need a good starting quarterback to be. And he just doesn't look like an above average, let alone a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. And I think a lot of those guys on offense are over the hill and they're past their prime or they're just completely never going to perform to their contract with the return on investment of a guy like Michael Thomas. I just, I don't think their offense is very good at all. I think their defense is, but I think the Texans have a legit shot in this game because of that. And I think that their young athletic defensive uh, system and with D'Amico and the players they have, I think they're going to get, they're going to get home a couple times on car. Yeah. I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a game very similar to last week where it's going to be tight and it's going to be a coin flip game. It's going to come down to the fourth quarter. It's going to come down to a final series or two. Uh, I think it, I really do. Think and and if that's way. the case, do you put your money on a guy like Carr, or do you already believe that CJ Stroud is better and you put your money on CJ? Honestly, I, I think that we kind of do a disservice by saying it all comes down to the quarterback. No, I'm Desmond if it, if Ritter got the final drive and beat know, the Houston Texans. I'm saying if it did. Would I think you, Stroud's better than Carr. I do too. But this isn't a Stroud versus Carr thing. It's C.J. Stroud, a patchwork offensive line, without one of his best targets going up against a – I do think the Saints are really good defensively, even though they've played a lot of really bad teams. And then Derek Carr has a lot of really good skill position players, and the secondary is kind of beat up. Like, you saw what Desmond I, Ritter did to the Houston Texans last – Desmond Ritter went for over 300 yards, and I think that Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Desmond Ritter. I think, I think, I think Carr is going to try to – tried desperately to get a couple of home runs. I think he's going to go deep. Uh, I think that he's going to try and pop the top on the defense a, a couple of times, and that scares me a little bit. But uh, I just I don't believe in Derek Carr as a quarterback. I don't believe that. Did you believe in Ritter though? No, absolutely did not. Yeah, so no. it's kind of that's my my concern isn't like being fearful of Carr. It's more like the secondary kind of scares me. Now, Shaq Griffin was a full participant the last two games, so that's that's a pretty big addition because mm-hmm. now he's at, I thought he actually played pretty good, Shaq Griffin did, whenever he filled in for Stingley. And I'm wondering if they call up Verrett at all. Like, I wonder, because they signed him early yeah. in the week. Maybe he's not even Nico ready. Maybe him. he waits till after the bye. But I'm, I'm really intrigued. Kind of a small thing. I don't think it's paramount. I think it's small. But I'm really curious to see if, if, if Verrett's on the active roster Sunday. It's interesting. I just think that they're two different situations, and I know that injury is the biggest problem for the Texans when you're trying to figure out the weapons and, and what CJ is going to have to work with. I just don't think that it impresses me the weapons that the Saints have, with the exception of one in Olave that can go deep. And and, and I think that the te- that sits well, that bodes well for a Texans defense that's cut, that's dinged up as well. Yeah, I do think that the home field's the, the, the determining factor here. I, I do believe the Texans are going to win a very tight game Sunday. Um, secondary is probably my biggest concern on the defensive side of the ball. Hopefully, Shaq Griffin can alleviate some of that. Four zero seven one Texans will beat the uh, breaks off the Saints. They will contend for the division, and that that leads to the question seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. We were saying if the Texans can get to the bye at three and three because they have they actually have the second worst schedule the rest of the year after the bye. The team that has the worst schedule after the bye, and by worst I mean the most favorable, easiest. Uh, the easiest good way to put that. The Saints do. The Saints have the easiest schedule post bye, post Texans bye. Texans have the second easiest schedule. So if the Texans get to three and three, 
they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL, I think they can be in contention for the AFC South. But what if it's two and four? Do, do you think that Sundays must win for the Texans if they want to win this division or can at least contend for this? Division? I think it's too early to must win it. I, I think they can be in two and four, and I know that they're still going to have a Cleveland team later in the year that looks like it might be falling apart. That you got the Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers on that schedule, you can capitalize on those. If you handle your business within the division, I think it's too soon to say it's a must win. Uh, I think it would be ideal and it'd be a great situation to be in, especially with how tight last week's game was and where you almost had it, that you could get there and say, hey, we're 500 after six games. Not a lot of people saw that coming and, and kind of build off of that. So I don't think it's a must win per se, but I because I, I still think that after the bye, they can still fully capitalize on that schedule. And, and I think that they'd still have a fighting chance for the division. Yeah, I can't categorize it as a must win either. Now, getting to where you're going to need to be, Two and four going into the buys, obviously a, a lot more difficult. But because the schedule is so bad, it's not like it's not incredibly daunting. It'd be difficult, but it's not like clowning Mount Everest. Right, they, it's not the schedule so yeah. bad. The, the schedule is just so bad after the buy that I still think at two and four they could rattle off three wins in a row. They could rattle off five of six. They could rattle off six of eight. All of a sudden, you get to week 16, week 17, where you're playing your division rivals, where you're in a spot where if you go 2-0 and in the final two weeks, you're this, you know, you go from the worst in your division to first in your division. I think that it's still in play at 2-4. and four. Obviously, the odds decrease a lot if you lose the game and you're 2-4, and four, and they increase a lot if you go 3-3. Three and three. I really want the 3-3 three and three thing, because if you go 3-3, three and three, you can break go into the bye three and three you can break up the rest of the season going into the final two weeks of the year into three game series and if you go two and two and one in those three game series the rest of the year until week 17 and week 18 you're going to be in contention by default so I really want him to get to three and three because whenever we started to talk about it after the Texans won their first game, it's like get to that bye at three and three, and you got the fighters' chance. I'm not going to feel as good about it at two and four, although I'm not going to say it's an absolute hundred percent must win. No, because the other thing that I like about this, as much as we've been watching it week to week and player by player with the dinged up offensive line and all the injuries that this team has, a lot of it could get right during the bye week. So even if you're two and four, but if you get healthy with the bye week following that, you come out of the bye week. And you're closer, not that anybody's 100%, but you're closer to being the healthy unit that you thought you were going to have with an offensive line, with some of the players you've been missing. Maybe you get, hopefully you get Stingley back somewhere soon after that, if not you know, close to that. And you start adding those players back. Now you gain momentum by having more talent as well as an easier schedule. And I still think that you, know, you play your division. You, you basically have Jacksonville's number. The Titans don't scare anybody. And, and obviously, whether you get Minshew or Richardson, and it looks like you're going to get Minshew, that's going to be a challenging game for you. But with those games in the division that you, you got a good chance at and all the, the cupcakes coming up and getting healthy, I think it's a good it's a good recipe for them. You would have to do something that, that's, I'm not going to say special, but you have to do something that was unexpected if you lose this game and still win the division. you got to upset someone that we had picked you, as a loss. Yeah, you got you got to go on a run that most people wouldn't expect you to go on. Because three and three... I'm telling you, it's not that insurmountable with your schedule to to pick up two of every three games for a period of time to where all of a sudden you're eight and or you're seven and seven going into your last three your your last three games. And if you're seven and seven going into your last three games, you're in the contention, you're in the race in the very poor AFC South. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. The voice of the Houston Astros, Todd Callis, will join us next to break down the ALDS win 
and the preview of the ALCS. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, another word from my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business, neograft procedure for the guys. You don't know what the neograft is, but maybe you need to because you have pattern baldness. You're thinning. You're going bald, and you don't think there's anything you can do about it. The sprays, the creams, the foams, they just mask the problem. You can shave it all off, but you don't really want to do that either. You want your own hair, and you get it with the neograft because genetically you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. So Doc Linville takes some of that, repurposes it where you need it most, gives you more of a coverage area, a better appearance, and more confidence. It's fantastic. And as listeners to ESPN 97.5, you get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. For you, it's, it's absolutely free. Sign up, get in there, go in, ask questions, get answers, and find out if the procedure is right for you, too. It was for me. I can't speak highly enough about Doc and the job that he did with me. He could do the same thing for you, too. Go to 975hair.com right now. That's how you get that free consultation. Get in there. Ask the questions. Get the answers. Figure it out because... It's all going to make some sense to you when you start figuring out that 95 to 99% of all the follicles that they're going to move are going to stay and grow, get stronger and longer, and be with you for the long haul. It's absolutely fantastic. Check them out today and tell them I sent you by because I think Doc's the best in the business. Go to 975hair.com. Let's go straight out to the HRP guest line. Being joined now by Todd Callis, voice of the Houston Astros, presented by Daspit Law Firm and Academy Sports and Outdoors. Todd, thanks for taking a few minutes hanging out with the Killer Bees on this Friday afternoon. How about Christian Javier and Jose Urquidy and what they gave the Astros in Minnesota? How about it, right? I mean, you, you go up there 1-1. Minnesota's got a little momentum coming off game two, uh, beating Framber Valdez, and those guys stepped up. I mean, Christian's been really good. Three of his last four starts now, which bodes well. Uh, he's become the first pitcher ever to go three starts in a postseason with one hit or fewer. Uh, so, yeah, you got to feel better about your chances in the ALCS now with those guys going well than you did going into that series. Well, let's piggyback on that, Todd, by some of the conversation we had when we were out at East River 9 last week, and we were talking about the the resurgence of one Jose Abreu. And we knew that that Arizona series, he was a one-man wrecking crew at the biggest time of the year, and we were hopeful that we would see it continue in the playoffs. Now getting out of the Minnesota series and looking back, he has kept it going and then some. I don't know that any of us could have predicted that he was going to be that good for that entire series. No, and it's been a run, like you said, going back to Arizona. Even if you take it all the way back to late August, I think he's now 42 runs batted in his last 35 games, which is crazy, uh, averaging 1.2 RBIs a game during a, a stretch of over a month. Uh, so, yeah, he's on a tear right now, and he's needed to be because – Tuck had a little bit of an off uh, series against the Minnesota Twins in the ALDS. Jordan is just a beast right now. Uh, but between Jordan and, and Abreu, those guys really helped carry the team in the last round. wouldn't surprise me if Tuck and Bregman or Tuck and Altuve or uh, even Tuck and Chaz uh, team up and start doing some damage here in the next round. Uh, it's a lineup that can hurt you one through nine. It'll be interesting to see how much the Rangers pitch to Jordan Alvarez. I think he only drew one walk in that series against Minnesota. Uh, I doubt he'll only draw one walk in the first four games against Texas. Todd Callis joining us on the HRNP guest line. And speaking of Texas, uh, two organizations that know each other well, and Marcus Simeon and Martin Maldonado got to know each other a little bit better uh, in some games uh, this season. How, how much stock can you put in the, the regular season whenever you're talking about this two, these two teams now meeting in the ALCS? Uh, a little bit. Uh, but you got to keep in mind, even when the Astros dominated them in Arlington that last series of the year that they played, 
uh, outscoring them 39 to 10 and hitting a, a 16 home runs in three games. It was ridiculous. Obviously, that bodes well for the Astros offensively, but uh, the Rangers didn't have a fully healthy Nathan Avaldi back then. Uh, Max Scherzer tried to start in that series, and he was about to go on the IL right at that start. Uh, we don't know if Max is going to be back or not. If he is, he's probably not going to be fully extended. So, uh, but one thing, two things that were missing in that series for the Rangers, they didn't have Josh Young, their rookie third baseman, who might have been American League Rookie of the Year had he stayed healthy all year. He would have certainly pushed Gunnar Henderson for that title. Uh, and they didn't have Evan Carter, who's now, you know, he was their nine hitter for a while. Now he's moving up in the lineup because he's hitting so well. So those two guys weren't part of the Rangers lineup. It was still impressive. It was still a beatdown. It was still something nice for the Astros to hang their hat on going into the playoffs, but it's also uh, it wasn't quite the Rangers team that they're going to see beginning on Sunday night. Todd, on the on the pitching side of things, we know that the Rangers' bullpen is what you'd like to get to. You mentioned Scherzer maybe not being stretched out enough. You want to see the, the Astros be able to kind of get pit, a lot of pitches in at-bats and get to that bullpen, it would seem. You think that's one of the, the, the attack mode messages of, of Dusty and the guys talking about preparing for this series, try to get to that Rangers' bullpen? 110% if you can. Yeah, that's the, that's that's got to be the key to the series. I mean, the Rangers know that's their Achilles heel. It's no secret. Uh, Bruce Boshi is not entirely comfortable when he has a, a short lead in the middle of a game, knowing he's going to have to piece it together from innings six through nine. He's going to hope he gets a lot of innings out of Jordan Montgomery game one and out of Nathan Navaldi game two. Uh, because the bullpen has been really erratic. Uh, it was Will Smith for a while who was closing, and they got a Raldis Chapman, and he had a good stretch here and there, but lately he's been very inconsistent. Jose Leclerc has been their most consistent guy at the back end of the bullpen, but they really weren't tested too much either against Tampa Bay or in their next series. Uh, they, they really had big leads against Tampa Bay and Baltimore, really didn't have too many high-pressure, high-leverage situations for their bullpen to try and close games out. Uh, even when they did that second game against Baltimore, I think they were up 11 to five. It was 11 to eight all of a sudden in the ninth inning and they were able to win that game. So, uh, to me, that's the key to the series is getting their bullpen involved in close games because I think once you get it to a bullpen game, that's where the Astros advantage takes over. So I look at the, the Rangers lineup and that's their strength. They were the best offense in the league. I don't, I'm having trouble finding the easy outs. I mean, one through nine, this lineup is deep and they can beat you throughout. Absolutely. They don't have an easy out. That's what I, when I was saying earlier, like Evan Carter was batting ninth and now he moved up a little bit in the order. Uh, but yeah, I, it's one through nine. It's as good as any lineup in the American league and maybe in baseball. So, uh, the Braves had a really good lineup that didn't show up against the Phillies. The Dodgers had a really good lineup that didn't show up against the Diamondbacks. The Rangers lineup showed up. They, they showed up more so in that Baltimore series and the Tampa Bay series, but they, they showed up here in the postseason. Seager, Corey Seager, if it wasn't for Shohei Otani, uh, might be the MVP. He and Kyle Tucker are probably going to end up in the top three along with Otani. Uh, this guy's legit. He, he's showing why they paid him all that money for all those years. Uh, Marcus Simeon has not had the best postseason, but he scares me because I think uh, he's really he's really going to be geared up and, and focused for the series against the Astros. We know what happened earlier this year. Um, one through nine, this team can hit. They really don't have a weakness. Um, you're, you're going to have to beat them by out-hitting them. You're not going to win a lot of 2-1 games or 3-2 games, in my opinion, in this series. Todd, best of seven now instead of a best of five. Longer series. Do you anticipate any changes to that roster going into the longer series? And is Kendall Graveman even a possibility? 
Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of been radio silent since the end of that twin series. The Astros celebrated that uh, after the game Wednesday night. They flew back yesterday. Today was a day off. There was kind of like an optional workout. I didn't attend that. but So I haven't really talked to anybody yet. Tomorrow's when the media sessions start again. Um, so I really don't have too much of an insight, guys, in terms of who might be on or off the roster based on uh, transitioning into the ALCS. But I don't anticipate it being uh, a major change. I, I really don't know who else they could add that's really going to enhance this roster. Uh, I, I might be telling you a different story at this time tomorrow once I hear, hear what people have to say. But uh, to me, there wasn't really a glaring need for anybody to be added uh, for a seven-game CS as opposed to a five-game DS as they just played. Todd Callis joining us on the HRNP guest line. Our conversation presented by Daspit Law Firm and Academy Sports and Outdoors. TK, I heard you you mentioned Montgomery more than likely their game one starter, Eovaldi game two. It's how I, I, I'm guessing too. None of this is announced or official yet. It sounds like Max Scherzer is going to get back. Uh, Heaney's in the mix there. After Montgomery and Eovaldi, what, what's your best guess on how Bruce Bochy is going to shape up his rotation for later games in this series, game three, game four? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they mix and match. I think they'll probably do some sort of piggybacks with, I think four pitchers will be involved. You mentioned Scherzer, you mentioned Heaney. I think Martin Perez and Dane Dunning will also be in that mix. So between those four, maybe you piggyback to one day, to the other, or you only have one guy go one day and then start your bullpen session uh, where you go one inning at a time and you have whoever that fourth guy is between Heaney, Perez, Scherzer, um, and Dunning to be the backup plan if, if, you, if you need bulk late in the game. So uh, I think they're going to mix and match. I think you're going to see two traditional starters uh, the first two games. In theory, you'll also see uh, Montgomery go again in game five. That means you'll probably see Evaldi go in game six. And then I think it's all hands on deck if they get to a game seven. So I think you'll see two traditional starters, two potential piggybacks, or shorter start plus bullpen session and maybe a bulk guy. Uh, but they'll mix and match it a little differently than the Astros. I anticipate the Astros will stay with their fresh four, just going forward with Verlander, Fromber, uh, and then you've got Christian Javier and Jose Arquiti. I think they'll just roll with those four. You won't really see. You'll have France back there as a potential piggyback, Connor Brown back there as a potential piggyback, but I don't think they're going to go into uh, the starts thinking they're going to piggyback like maybe the Rangers will. Todd, it was crazy before the series. We were trying to figure out three and four in the Astros rotation, and now the only question is, are we going to get the the real Fromber we're used to back? Any reason for any concern coming off of that? Was that just a little too much rest and time in between where maybe he didn't have his sharp stuff? Or or are we expecting that Fromber's just going to you know kind of be the old Fromber coming into this series? Yeah, I think if it was last year, you would say it was just an anomaly, a one-off. But to be perfectly frank, guys, I, I we haven't seen that consistency. Fromber was the most consistent starting pitcher in baseball last year. Set the consecutive quality start streak record. He has not been that same guy this year. He'll have a really good outing. He'll have a really tough outing. He'll have two out of four good outings. So we just haven't seen that consistency that was part of his DNA last year. And so because of that, I can't say for sure if that was just a one-off. I'm hoping it was. Robert seems to pitch well in the big moments. I can't imagine, you know, he's going to go out there and have another tough outing. I think that last time he faced Texas in Minute Maid Park, he kind of got out of his comfort zone with hit by pitches and the benches clearing and all that. He kind of got a little bit amped up and maybe uh, just overdid it a little bit and was not calm enough to pitch quality uh, innings from that start. So uh, to go back to your original question, to me, when Fromber's on, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. We need him to be on. 
but I can't tell you for sure that that was just a one-off just based on the fact that he hasn't been as consistent this year. Maybe the law of averages will, will play out. Are you going to make the trip up to Arlington to, to watch the games on, on the road? You know what? We were talking about that. My wife and I were talking about that last night. Um, we were debating because I probably have one little trip that I can take at some point in this postseason because I'm hosting, uh, along with Lummer, all these postgame shows out of the studio. But they also gave us, gave us the flexibility to, to travel for a series if we wanted to. So I'm debating whether to go up to Arlington this time around or maybe hoping the Phillies are the matchup in the World Series because I would love to go back to Philly if that's the case. So I might hold out to see if it's Phillies, Astros round two, uh, but I still might not end up in Arlington. I'm, we're going to have to make that decision in the next 24 yeah, hours. Let, let's be honest. It's the wife making the decision, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I've got no say. <laughs> I was going to say, you guys brought yeah. back Astros after dark, waiting for after Rockets basketball to give us post game the other night. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Not an issue, but it's going to be a little bit of a factor going into this next round. So whenever the Rockets have a preseason game, we'll always have to wait until they're done their postgame show. Uh, but in this case, the other day, we had a day game. The Rockets had a night game, so there was like a six-hour gap or whatever it was. Uh, this time around, it'll be a much shorter gap. It might not even be any gap at two games at the same time. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be using the same studio that the Rockets use for their postgame shows. And we'll just make it work whenever the Rockets uh, are done. Their programming will be right on the air. Well, Todd, thanks for spending uh, some time with us and uh, enjoy the ALCS. Guys, I look forward to it. I'll talk to you next Friday, whether it's from Arlington or uh, right here in Houston, but I can't wait to see how the series plays out. Likewise. We'll talk to you then, Todd. Todd Callis, uh, conversation brought to you by Daspit Law Firm and Academy Sports and Outdoors. You you brought up the Kendall Graveman injury. Is Kendall Graveman going to be on this roster whenever they have to announce it on Sunday morning? What changes will there be to the ALCS roster? How important a piece is Kendall Graveman? Also, some... You know, if if the Rangers do go with two lefties, Montgomery a lefty, Andrew Heaney a lefty, how does that play into Dusty's lineup with Michael Brantley, with Yiner Diaz, with Chaz, with Dubon? Uh, how do you want to see the Astros play it with a lefty on the mound? Because they didn't see that in the ALDS. 713-780-3776. Killer Reese, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, before we go to the break, I want to tell you about the good people again at my bookie. I've been telling you about them for quite a while. we got a big weekend coming up. we got all this playoff baseball. we got college football. We've got a full slate of NFL games. Well, if you love betting on sports and you want a place where your money's safe and secure and they take care of their customers, that's why I always tell you, go to mybookie.ag. Get in there and and put some money in an account, set it up or reload your account, and get ready for a big weekend of sports with a chance to win some cash. It's absolutely fantastic, and it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can still cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side, and it's all because you go to mybookie.ag. Been in business for over a decade. They ain't going anywhere, so neither is your money. And they also have lots of other things going on. Daily odds boosts, same game parlays. Take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Every single sack, fumble, and touchdown is another chance to hit a payday. Get started right now, and I always tell you to remember this promo code, BET975. Right now, if you use that promo code on your first deposit, you have a chance to grab a deposit match up to $1,000. Once you're signed up, try the MyBookie money bag and grab all sorts of crazy long shot odds, like a plus 7,000? What? They have money bag bets for college football, NFL, NBA, basically every sport. You're not going to find odds like that anywhere else. Get started, as I told you. MyBookie.ag, promo code BET975 for that welcome bonus. And as I always tell you, you can bet anything, anytime, 
anywhere with the only place I tell you to do it. It's mybookie.ag and the promo code again, bet975. It's Blank on Branham. Jordan Montgomery has been officially announced, announced as the game one starter for the Texas Rangers. TK TK has been saying that since the post games. I've heard him talking about that. That's why I listed uh, Montgomery as my potential game one starter because TK told us. Uh, Eovaldi, he'll be on full rest Monday. There's no way he's not starting game two. The first decision for Bochi is going to be game three. And it's going to be, do you sure are there? Do you wait? Do you keep him in a game four? Do you use a piggyback of Heaney? You know, you mentioned Dunning. Martin Perez been mostly bullpen, but long guy. Uh, that'll be interesting from a Bruce Bochi perspective. The reason I think he goes Scherzer game three, though, is if the series goes seven, your game one, game two, game three starters are starting twice. And I think he'd rather have Scherzer, even though Scherzer's kind of an unknown because he's been hurt, uh, over any of the other guys. So I think that's why he goes Scherzer in a game three. I can see that. I mean, it's not just name recognition. I mean, dude's been doing it for a long time. And when he's on his game and he's right, he he's one of the better pitchers in baseball. And you want to have a guy like that that you can lean on and go to uh, and know that he's been there before. I, I think that... You know, they're pitching ever since they, they've done a lot all year to try and rebuild that pitching staff on the fly, especially the starting pitching. Uh, the Chapman thing is another story all in itself. But when you look at it, I think that the Astros starting pitching looks to me better right now in the way it sets up. Those, you're right. It, it's a two and two situation. Both teams' first two guys are veterans. Scherzer's a wild card. But if you look at what you got in the Minnesota series out of Javier and then what uh, Urquidy was able to do, you feel a whole hell of a lot better about starting pitching going the, the Astros' way because of the guys and what they were able to do in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious to see how Bochi, Bochi does it in, in games three, I game think you're four. Right. Uh, the rosters aren't due until Sunday, so Bochi has time to wait until Sunday. And they're also sweating out John Gray. Now, they they mentioned that they use John Gray. It's probably going to be from a bullpen role as opposed to a starting role, so you can kind of throw him out. Now, the Astros, their rotation's set. Like, I don't think anybody's going to put up a fight that it's JV, Fromber, Javier, or Keaty. That seems to be set. And again, your top three starters in a seven-game series, if it goes seven, are making multiple starts. JV, Fromber, Javier would line up for game five, game six, and game seven. I think that the biggest question for the roster, I, I disagree with TK a little bit. I think that the Astros will make a roster change. I think that John Singleton will be left off the roster, and I think they're going to carry a 13th pitcher. Uh, they carried 14 hitters, 12 pitchers in the division series. You have two off days in a five-game series. That's normal. But then you go back to a 13-pitcher, 13-hitter roster whenever you get to the uh, to the LCS. Astros have done it for years since they added the 26-man. So I do believe that John Singleton's going to be left off the roster. The question now becomes, well, who is the pitcher that you're adding? It's easy if Kendall Graveman's healthy. Absolutely. If Kendall Graveman's good to go, Kendall Graveman is the 13th pitcher. You don't bat an eye. It's an easy decision. The question is, if Kendall Graveman can't go, who in the world are you now adding to the roster? I honestly think it's Seth Martinez. I think because he can come out of the bullpen. Dusty has a trust level with him. Dusty used him a ton of different ways over the last year plus, uh, and he's gotten results more times than not. And I think that Dusty doesn't need an extra Belak or Blanco and a starting pitcher type because you know he's already got guys that are going to be in the bullpen that have been starters like Brown and like France. So I think that to me, if he's going to go, if Graven's not available and he's going to go with the extra pitcher, I think he goes to to a guy like Seth Martinez who's traveling with them and who Dusty trusts. The only other option, if it's Graven's hurt and it's not Seth Martinez, and it would not surprise me if the Astros go this route and it's a lefty. 
It's a it's a Parker Mashinsky. It's a oh, Matt no. Gage, and it's not the idea that you're going to use them because, quite frankly, whatever pitcher you're adding here, unless it's Kendall Graven, is not going to be a weapon. But the Rangers lineup does have three prominent lefties in their starting nine. Corey Seager, lefty. Evan Carter, who's going to be next year's Rookie of the Year, lefty. Nathaniel Lowe, lefty. So it does make sense because, I mean, you're talking about Seth Martinez here. Like We like Seth Martinez, but it's not that difficult to leave Seth Martinez off the roster. I could see the Astros carrying one of those lefties to try to just have as, a, as an option against some of these Ranger lefties. So I think Sousa? that is a possibility. Sousa can't make it. I know. Yeah. He's not available, but boy, that would have been nice to have because I had confidence in that kid by the end of by the end of the regular season I thought hey that was a nice little add to the roster that kid can pitch a little bit and I have more confidence in him than a Hunter Mashinsky. Don't I, get me started. I think that I think that Bennett Sosa is going to make the uh, the bullpen next year. I, I think, think he's going to be. Right. I think he's going to be the lefty in the uh, the Astros bullpen. Uh, if Graveman is healthy, how much a factor can he be in this series? It, it it just depends. I think that if you're getting some slugfests and, and you're going to the bullpen and, and in, from situational standpoints more frequently, I think he could factor in. I think that he's going to kind of be Stanek of a year ago, though. He's going to be on standby, but I don't think he's going to surpass anybody to, and jump ahead to be used more often than, say, a Maton or even a Stanek or a Montero or guys like that. And because you've got starters in the bullpen already with big-time arm, in the case of Hunter Brown and, and all that J.P. France did, I think it's nice to have a security blanket of a guy that used to close, that's had some playoff experience, that could do some things for you. But I don't see him doing anything like massively impactful if he's added to the roster. I'm not even sure that he jumps anybody in the bullpen. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, he, I, to me, he wouldn't jump Maton. Uh, I, I don't think he would jump Montero because you don't know because he's been hurt. I'm not even sure he jumps Stanek. Like he might be your last guy <laughs> in the bullpen. Like I, I want him to be healthy because Graveman's a better you know choice than a Seth Martinez. It's better than a Parker Mashinsky. It's better than a Matt Gage. Uh, but who knows if he's even healthy? Uh, you start talking about shoulder discomfort for pitchers. Uh, it scares me. So we'll have to wait and see until Sunday. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six HRNP listener line. Let's go out to the HRNP listener line. Robbie, you're in the hive of the killer bees. What's up, Robbie? Hey, how you doing today? What's up, Robbie? I'm I'm just called to say, look, everybody knows that you know, last year nobody wanted to pitch to Alvarez. So this year don't pitch to Garcia. Make him <laughs> Work for everything that he has to do, just like nobody pitched to Rodriguez in Seattle. Make him work for it. Don't give him easy bombs. Yeah, I'll hang up and listen to you. Yeah, Robbie, that's that's a good idea. Uh, I that's think Robbie, there's a there's a pecking bombs. order with the Rangers, and I think it starts with Corey Seager. I think that's the guy that does a ton of damage and is their best overall hitter. And Simeon, though he didn't have a great uh, a divisional series, Simeon and Seager are are. Really, really good, and so is Garcia. But you got to be careful with a lot of guys in that lineup. To, to Robbie's point, though, after Adolis Garcia, there's there's a drop off. Uh, there's a it, at least in terms of cachet, because I I'm a big fan of Evan Carter. Evan Carter is going to be a star in Major League Baseball. He's super young. He's 21 years old. He has less than 65 at-bats in his professional, in his Major League Baseball career. And like TK was telling us, this is a guy that two weeks ago was batting ninth in their lineup. They, he was too talented to not have them for the stretch drive, for the playoffs, because he's better than like Jankowski. He's better than a Robbie Grossman. 
And then all of a sudden, he's just caught fire, and he's now batting fifth. So from a name ca- like a name value, cachet point of view, you want to face Adolis Garcia or a rookie named Evan Carter? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, pitch around Garcia, let's face Carter. I'm not so sure Evan Carter's not the better player, quite frankly. Evan Carter is a stud. Uh, but it's a lineup that's deep, too. Like, mm-hmm. pitching around Adolis Garcia, now you're looking at Evan Carter, you're looking at a Jonah, Jonah Heim, Heim, who's yeah. one of the better hitting catchers in all of baseball. You know, Lowe's been struggling lately, but he's still somebody that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, the Texas Tech Red Raider, Josh Young, a guy that's really good offensive player too. So this isn't a lineup like Seattle where you can work around Julio Rodriguez and you're not scared of anybody else. Uh, this is a lineup where they can kill you one through nine. And, and I agree with you that Simeon and Seager are bigger weapons than Adolis Garcia. But Adolis hits fourth and Simeon and Seager hit first and second. So it's not like you're pitching around Garcia to get to Simeon right. and Seager. They're already out of the way. Uh, but don't don't sleep on this Carter kid and the rest of that Ranger lineup. They, they can go. And, and Garcia might be one of the guys you want to attack. Now, he's a guy that's going to hit the ball out of the park. But he's also a guy that when you look at the rest of their lineup, he's like one of the lower average guys. So he yeah. might be one of the guys that's the easiest to get out for the Astros. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I I think that it's more as, as I was talking about it. If you're looking at it situationally later in the game, once you get through the top of the lineup, you know, the initial time through, you're going to see Seeger and Simeon come up and you've got runners on base. You got to be real careful with those guys because they do damage and they've done it all season long. And, and, and Seeger has been worth every penny that they've spent the way he's played this year. Uh, and, and, you know, and he continued to be the fear that was, that was in everybody's minds when he came to the plate, uh, in Tampa and against the Orioles. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how they pitch to him when they get later in games, especially with runners on. We'll, we'll break down the, the options for Dusty against lefties later because it's a, it's a, it's a conversation worth having because Brantley's a lefty, Jordan's a lefty. They, I don't think they want to play Brantley every single game. Uh, so we'll, we'll figure out what the, what Dusty Baker should do, right? Cause we're, we're smarter than Dusty. People think that we always say that and complain about Dusty, even though he's the most decorated manager of Astros history. 713-780-ESPN. But coming up next, it's Who Said It? Where Joe George is going to read quotes said by ESPN 97.5 personalities. Killer Bees have to guess who said it. And we'll see who wins. It determines Blanker's weekend. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.